If you would, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be looking at chapter 26, verses 69 to 75 today. Many years ago, when I was living in Southern California, I got a voicemail from a friend who, who I had discipled and, and taught when I was back in Kansas City. When I listened to the voicemail to my, from my friend, I was caught very off guard as my friend was weeping uncontrollably. And through the tears, he communicated that he had messed up majorly. I called him back, and as he, he struggled to, to quiet his crying, he told me how he had committed immorality with a girl that he had been dating. My friend was a believer, but he had wrongly been dating an unbelieving girl who did not know Christ, and he had led that girl into sin. My friend felt broken. He recognized the, the seriousness of his sin. He recognized how much he had failed Jesus, and he was filled with remorse, filled with grief over his sin. Now, there was a lot of truths my friend needed to think about in that situation. There was a lot of things he needed to respond to. But the first thing that he needed to think about was that although he had failed, Christ had succeeded. He needed to remember that he could not wash himself clean. He could not earn his own forgiveness. He could not save himself. But Jesus Christ could cleanse. Jesus Christ could forgive. And Jesus could save him because of what he accomplished on the cross. And the first thing my friend needed to do was to confess his sin to God and humbly turn in submission and trust to his Savior. My friend had failed. And although our sins may be different than my friend's sin, Every single one of us here today has failed as well. And we all continue to struggle with our sin. And like my friend, our failure should push us to focus on the success of Jesus Christ. We are sinners, but Christ is the Savior. And that is a message that will shine through clearly in our passage today. For as we look at this section of Scripture, and as we look at the surrounding context, we are going to see that we are weak, but Christ is strong. So please look with me at Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. 
And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Lord God, we thank you that you still speak to us today through your precious and holy word. And I ask God that as we examine this passage, as we look at the failure of Peter, that we would see your grace at work in the midst of this failure. That we would see Christ more clearly as we walk through this passage. We thank you so much for what you've given us in Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. The book of Matthew is not just a biography of Jesus. It is a theological biography of Jesus. Meaning, Matthew is not a mere record of some things that Jesus did in his life, but is a record that is meant to teach us specific divine truth. And that is meant to transform us by that specific truth. Matthew is not written in the same style or with the exact same organization of Mark, Luke, or John. They all have some overlap, but each one has a, has a particular focus. Each one has written to emphasize a particular truth about Jesus Christ. And if you look throughout Matthew, you will see from the first chapter on that Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the prophesied Christ, that Jesus is the promised Savior King. And that truth is pointed to and supported throughout the entire book. And so as we look at this passage about Peter, we don't want to lose sight of the main thing Matthew wants us to learn. We need to keep our attention on Jesus as the Christ. I've never been a very big fan of, of baseball. But when I was growing up, my, my grandpa on my mom's side tried to teach me the basics of playing America's pastime. He gave me a bat. He showed me how to stand. and would, He would throw the ball slowly over the plate. But before he threw the ball, every time he would say, keep your eye on the ball, Josh. Keep your eye on the ball. On the ball. There are a lot of distracting things for me to look at, and I could easily be tempted to, to start focusing somewhere else, but if I kept my eye on the ball, I would have the possibility 
of actually hitting it. Well, as we look at the passage, this passage about Peter, we need to remember to keep our eye on Jesus Christ. We must look at the details of this story, but we we must not get so focused on the details that we forget the entire point of Matthew. And so before we jump into the details of this passage in Matthew, I want us to remember what just happened in the immediate context and compare and contrast it with what we're going to study today. For we are going to see that the context will help us keep our eye on Jesus. In the previous passage... Verses 57 through 68, the temple priests are questioning Jesus. And in our passage today, the priests' servants are questioning Peter. In the previous passage, Jesus is put under an oath. And in our passage today, Peter puts himself under an oath. In the previous passage, Jesus is being questioned about his identity as the Christ. And in our passage today, Peter is being questioned about his identity as a follower of Christ. But while Jesus stands strong against the priest's questions, Peter crumbles when he faces the questions of the priest's servants. While Jesus speaks the truth under oath, Peter horribly lies and violates his oath. And while Jesus courageously proclaims his own identity, Peter cowardly hides his own identity. The writer of Matthew is showing us the contrast between these two individuals. He is showing us Jesus' success in contrast to Peter's failure, the failure of the strongest and the most prominent disciple of them all. Matthew is showing us that we are weak, but Christ is strong. So remember that as we begin to walk through this passage. Remember to keep your eye on Jesus. If you would like to better follow along, there's an outline of our passage on the back of your bulletin. And we're going to start with the location. The location. The first half of Matthew 26, verse 60. 9 says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. As we learned last week, Jesus had been brought to the residence of the high priest Caiaphas. And his, this residence was obviously very large as it doubled as the meeting place for the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish leadership council. And in ancient times, it was not uncommon for large dwellings to have a, a, a big outside courtyard near the front or even in the center of the building. And last week, we saw that Peter had entered this courtyard to, to find out what would happen to Jesus after the trial before the Sanhedrin. 
And here in verse 69, we see Peter still sitting outside in this courtyard. Now, Jesus had eaten the Passover with the disciples, walked with them all the way to the Mount of Olives, prayed for possibly several hours, and then been arrested and brought back to Jerusalem for trial. Which means that it was pretty late at night when Peter walked into that courtyard. It would have been dark there with only a fire and and some scattered lamps to give light, and milling around in the dark would have been a large amount of people As verse 55 says that crowds had come to arrest Jesus. And verse 71 says that there were various bystanders in the courtyard. It would have been risky for Peter to come to this place. As he was going into enemy territory, surrounded by those who hated his master. But Peter wanted to know what would happen to the man who had taught him and led him for the last several years. He wanted to know what would happen to the one that Peter believed was the Christ. So he took the risk, and he sat in the courtyard to await the verdict of the Jewish council. But sadly, Peter's bold risk in coming to this place would end in dishonest cowardice, which leads us to our next point, the denial, the denial. Matthew 26, verse 69, all the way through the first half of 74 says, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Now there was no TV or photographs back in those days. But Jesus had become so well known, it's not surprising that someone might recognize one of his disciples. When Jesus entered Jerusalem back in Matthew 21, it said that the whole city was stirred up and everyone was asking about Jesus. Jesus had been teaching and preaching for several years now and had become the most popular communicator in Israel. These healing miracles were were so amazing, pointed so clearly to his divine and supernatural power and were performed on so many people across Israel that even the Roman authorities had started to take notice of him. And Jesus had also caused a lot of controversy as he constantly rebuked and corrected the Jewish religious teachers across the country and he had publicly confronted the sins of of the priests. So people all across Israel would have known what Jesus looked like and people would have seen the 12 disciples who continually traveled with him. And apparently some of the high priests servant girls were some of those people. 
Verse 69 says, a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. Galilee was a region in the northern part of Israel, and since Jesus had grown up in the city of Nazareth, which was in Galilee, he was known as a Galilean. And the servant girl believed that Peter had been with that Galilean, that Peter was one of the followers of Jesus. But verse 70 says that Peter denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Peter attempted to play dumb in his first denial. Instead of addressing the accusation directly, he basically says, I don't know what you're talking about. And this lie was not just made to the servant girl, but was a public lie. As verse 70 says that he denied it before them all. Apparently, Peter was sitting with a bunch of the bystanders, and so when the girl publicly confronted him, he had to publicly deny it. Peter was most likely nervous that any accusation, or excuse me, any association with Jesus could prove bad for him. Jesus had been arrested by his enemies, and so Peter probably assumed that Jesus' disciples would be in danger of arrest as well. So instead of boldly proclaiming his, his connection with Jesus, Peter cowardly denied his association with his master. But Peter most likely noticed that his lie was unconvincing. As verse 71 says that he went out to the entrance. He left the girl that had just recognized him, and he left the group of people that he had just lied to, and he went to the entrance of the courtyard. But Peter's new location was no better than the last location, as verse 71 says that another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. This new servant girl was not directing her words directly to Peter but was instead telling everyone else around Peter about his connection with Jesus. This situation had turned from bad to worse. And now Peter had to either come clean or to ramp up the deceit. And sadly, he chose the latter. Verse 72 says, And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. This time Peter tried to show his sincerity of his denial by using an oath. An oath was a a, a solemn and formal appeal to God as a witness to the person's truthfulness. In, In essence, Peter was saying, as God is my witness, I don't know this Jesus fellow. The doors were closing in on Peter as his association with Jesus seemed close to being revealed. So he made an oath that he had no relationship with Jesus. He lied about his connection to his beloved master. And apparently his strong denial was convincing for a few moments as no one immediately rejected it. But it wasn't long before those bystanders started to get more suspicious. 
Verse 73 says, After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. These servants of the priests had been listening to Peter's denials, and they noticed something a little fishy about him. His accents. The Jews in Jerusalem and the Jews in Galilee may have had the same language, but the way they pronounced different words was varied. They had different accents. And just like you and I can tell the difference between a New Yorker and someone from the southern tip of Alabama, they could tell the difference between someone from Jerusalem and someone from Galilee. And Peter's accent betrayed the fact that he was a Galilean, just like Jesus. So the bystanders thought, not only does he look like one of Jesus' followers, but he also sounds like one. And so they said, certainly you too are one of them. Peter was in trouble. He had tried to lie his way out of the situation, but his verbal denials revealed the very thing that he was trying to hide. In other words, Peter had had fallen in a hole and was unsuccessfully trying to dig his way out of it. He was in trouble, but he was not done lying yet. Verse 74 says, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. His oath had obviously not been enough to convince the people, and so Peter made his denial even stronger. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Invoking a curse on himself while swearing means that Peter was proclaiming a divine curse on himself if he was lying. You remember the old schoolyard saying when you were making a promise, cross my heart and hope to die, pin a needle in my eye. Peter's swear was similar to that but on steroids. Peter was pronouncing a divine curse on himself if his denial was false. Peter's oaths and swears only made his sin worse and worse. And his sin of denying Christ was already a massively serious sin to begin with. To show you how serious, please turn in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is an extremely severe and significant warning Jesus is giving. Those who acknowledge Jesus before men, 
meaning those who truly and openly confess, confess the truth about Jesus and their relationship with Jesus, those who acknowledge Jesus have the promise that Jesus will acknowledge them before God, meaning Jesus will confess who they really are and their relationship with him. Jesus will let you into heaven if you truly acknowledge him. But Jesus also said that whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny Jesus and your relationship with him, Jesus will deny that you have a relationship with him and therefore Jesus will deny you entrance into heaven. Now, we know from the Sermon on the Mount that every believer still struggles with sin. So Jesus here is not focused on the perfection of your life, but on the direction of your life. One fall into sin, one denial of Jesus does not automatically mean that you're damned eternally to hell. But if your life is one of unrepentedly denying Jesus, then it reveals that you do not know Jesus, and Jesus will deny you entrance into heaven. If it is the pattern of your life to unrepentantly deny Jesus, then Jesus will eternally deny you. Jesus had warned his disciples He had warned Peter that it is a massively serious thing to deny Jesus Christ. And yet in Matthew 26, Peter denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times in a row. Peter had sinned, and this sin was severe. And at the very moment of Peter's worst denial, God revealed Peter's sin to him. And that leads us to our next point, the fulfillment, the fulfillment. Matthew 26, the end of verse 74 through verse 75 says, And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You ever watch a movie where there's a a flashback scene? The music changes Things seem to move in slow motion and you see a scene that occurred earlier in the movie. And as you watch that flashback of the past, you suddenly connect it with what just happened in the movie. Well, Peter's about to get a flashback here. Because right at the end of his third denial, immediately the rooster crowed. The crow of that rooster jogged Peter's memory. 
And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Back in Matthew 26, verse 34, Jesus had prophesied Peter's sinful failure. And his prophecy had been specific as he said Peter would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And the sound of that crow brought this prophecy back to the mind of Peter. Peter remembered the prophecy and Peter's complete and utter failure was laid bare before him. Now I want you to freeze for a moment and think back to what happened at the end of our sermon last week. The Sanhedrin had put Jesus on trial. Jesus had revealed his identity. The Jewish leaders had condemned him to death and then they had beat Jesus and mocked him. But look back with me to verses 67 and 68 and see how they mocked Jesus. The end of verse 67 says, And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? What did they mock? His ability to prophesy. They taunted him, making fun of his claim of being the ultimate prophet, of being the Christ. And in the very next passage, the one we're studying today, what does the author of Matthew show us? That Jesus' prophecies come true. Immediately after Jesus is mocked about being a prophet, we see proof that Jesus was the ultimate prophet. Proof that Jesus was the promised Christ. So as we learn about Peter in this passage, remember who this book is really about. We must always keep our eyes on Jesus. Well, Peter had failed to keep his eye on Jesus. Instead of trusting in the sovereign plan of his master, he had acted out of fear and cowardice. He had denied Jesus Christ and had done it again and again. Peter was in serious sin, and the realization of that sin was now crashing down upon him as he remembered the prophecy of his master. And the weight of that realization led him to do what all true believers do. He mourned over his sin. The end of verse 75 says, And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was not prideful or indifferent about his sin. He mourned it. He had extreme sorrow over it. Having godly grief over one's sin is the response that all true believers have when they have a major failure like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 
first part of verse 10 says that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. True believers mourn over their sin, and that sorrow over their sin produces a repentance, a willingness to turn back to Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And Jesus promised that those who mourn and turn to Him will receive His comfort. As Jesus said back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now our passage today does not explicitly say that Peter repented. But in Matthew 26, verse 32, Jesus had prophesied that after the disciples had failed him, and after Jesus had died and rose again, that Jesus would meet with his disciples in Galilee. Meaning their relationship with him would not be destroyed. The disciples' failure would lead to their repentance. Peter's denial would not prevent him from returning to Jesus. Jesus prophesied that he would still have a relationship with them as he would meet with them in Galilee. And as Jesus' prophecy about Peter's denials were true, his prophecy about Peter's restoration would also prove true. There was hope for Peter. Not because Peter deserved it, Not because Peter succeeded. Not because Peter was strong. Peter had proved to be a weak and sinful failure. But Peter had one thing going for him. He had trusted in a strong Savior. And as we come to the end of our passage, we need to remember that the Savior that Peter had is the same Savior that we look to today. All of us have failures and sins in our past, and all of us still struggle with sin today. And the beauty of Christianity is not that we can become moral enough, not that we can become good enough to deserve entrance into God's heavenly kingdom. The beauty of Christianity is that though we fail, our Savior King succeeds. And our hope is not in ourselves, but in what? Jesus did. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth and lived a perfect life. And He accomplished His mission by dying to pay the penalty for the sins of all who believe. He conquered death by rising from the dead and He promised eternal salvation and transformation to all who turn to Him alone as their Savior, as their Lord. 
That is what believers put their hope in. And if you have not repented, if you've not yet turned to Jesus as your hope, as the one to bring you salvation, I would urge you to do that today. Don't wait. And if you right here have already turned to Jesus as your Savior, I would urge you to continue to trust Him and to look to Him as your only hope. Peter was personally trained for years by the Son of God. Peter was the most prominent of Jesus' disciples. He was the most important leader. He was the strongest, and yet, Peter failed. And he failed terribly. Do not think that you are any better than Peter. All of us fail. And the beauty of what we have seen today is that Jesus is willing to stick with failures like us. Jesus is willing to continue to have patience and to slowly and continually transform us. So as you deal with your sinful failures, remember the truth that we are weak. But Christ is strong. Lord God, I thank you for this truth. God, we are a mess. And we have always been a mess. We are sinners and we are failures. But in your love and in your kindness, you sent your Son to save us, to forgive us, and to transform us. And we thank you, God, that even though you are in the midst of transforming your people, and even though that transformation is slow and we still struggle, we still sin, we still fall like Peter, that you are willing to be patient with, with your people. You are willing to be patient not because we are the most lovable, not because we have done anything deserving of your patience, but you are willing to be patient because of your great love and because your Son has paid the penalty for our sin. We thank you for that, Lord God. We rejoice in that. And as we move throughout our, our week, I ask that we would remember that, that we would remember that when we fail, that we would not hide that we would not be crushed by the weight of guilt and shame, but that we would look to you for cleansing and forgiveness, that we would remember that you love your people, that we would remember that though we are weak, we have a Savior who is strong. And in his name we pray. Amen.